Hi, I'm Tom Woods, and you're listening to the Libertarian Christian Podcast. Welcome to the show that gets Christians thinking about faith and politics. Get ready to challenge the statist quo, expand your imagination, and tackle controversy head on. Let's stand together at the intersection of faith and freedom. It's time for the Libertarian Christian Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Libertarian Christian Podcast, a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute. I'm your host, Doug Stewart. And for this episode, I have good news, bad news, literally. LCI is producing a new video series, and we are hoping that this will last for a very long time. We're going to have a roundtable, and we are recording it over video. We are releasing it on our YouTube channel, and it will be available on Facebook. So if you follow us on social media and on, and on YouTube, you'll be able to find it. You can also see the original post on our website, so you can get to it from all of our things. We're not going to be posting it through our podcast. At least we're not planning to do it that way. But for this episode, I want you to get a taste of what it is that we're up to. So we have a roundtable of commentators. Carrie Baldwin, who's an author at LibertarianChristians.com, myself, Norman Horn, and Matthew Bellis, whose voice you hear at the beginning of every one of our episodes. So what we do is we talk about current events. We don't just want to have content that's like, oh, you could listen to this at any time. We do that with our podcast, we do that with our articles, but we also want to kind of commentate on what's going on in the world. And so we're going to start with every other week. We are going to do them on basically a Saturday, and they'll release over over the weekend. So we hope you enjoy it, and you can listen to the first episode, which incidentally will probably be the longest one, uh, because we are going to try to keep these to 20 to 25 minutes, and this one went to 36. So we're getting our bearings. But in any case, enjoy, and please subscribe on YouTube, and go check us out. So welcome to Good News, Bad News from the Libertarian Christian Institute, where we have a roundtable of commentators talking about the most recent events in the world, in America, in the internet, and we are going to assess everything. We're going to edify, encourage, and we want this to be for Christian libertarians, but we hope anybody who listens and watches can benefit from it. So uh, we, 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 I kind of chose Proverbs 25.25 as sort of a theme verse, like cold water to a weary soul is good news from a distant land. Well, libertarians seem like they're from a distant land to a lot of people, so hopefully we can uh, bring some good news from our land to yours. So you want to probably know who we are. We are the Libertarian Christian Institute. We want to equip the church to promote a free society and make a Christian case for a free society. So I am the CEO of the Libertarian Christian Institute, and joined with me are my three comrades, Norman, Carrie, and Matt. And for you to get to know us, we're just going to talk about who we are real quick and what we did on 4th of July. Norman, what's your normal 4th of July look like, and what did you do this year because you had fewer freedoms, I guess? I don't know. What'd you do? <laughs> well, you know, historically, I'm, I'm usually in the, the hill country of Texas celebrating the 4th of July. That's definitely where I spent most of my time growing up in the summer like that, doing that sort of thing. But uh, so I don't really have the, the same like kind of, you know, developed traditions that some people do with going out, seeing massive fireworks shows or something like that. So it doesn't ma- that stuff doesn't matter as much to me. But I did get to spend some time with my family uh, my in-laws this year in Missouri, and uh, that was that was a good time. We actually did get to barbecue a little, and that was fun. Um, and yeah, it was just pretty relaxing. So not not too much now that the kids are well. The kids aren't really old enough to be able to stay up too late. So that was also you know we can't really go out or anything to that effect. Uh, so yeah, not not particularly significant on my end. 
Harry, you are in New Mexico, which apparently is the highest, you know, has the best rating on the internet for the governor's overreactions to <laughs> to the yeah. COVID. So speaking of distant lands, were you yeah. allowed to go out? Yeah, right. Were you allowed to go outside? What was your uh, what is your normal fourth of July like? Yeah. My normal 4th of July is that, you know, we go up to my parents' house. Uh, they live up in uh, Rio Rancho um, and they kind of live up on a hill. And so you can overlook the Rio Grande Valley and you can see all the fireworks. And so we'll go up there and, you know, barbecue or something like that and then sit back and just watch everybody's fireworks shows. So this year, uh, it was illegal for us to, um, basically leave our homes and go do anything. <laughs> our, uh, our our wonderful governor told us, you know, obey my edicts and you can celebrate your independence next year. It's basically what she said. <laughs> boy, boy. So I, I celebrated my independence by doing what I normally do and going up to my parents' house. And <laughs> it was, it was very low key, but you know, with, with all of this COVID stuff and the, the, ma- the masks, Oh my gosh, she's enforcing the masks now, which is insane. But yeah. Would, so, it, would it take the governor of uh, New Mexico to ban all chilies for the people of New Mexico to uh, rise up and uh, revolt? Probably. Yeah. yeah. That, they have to include would... the Applebee's too. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think he means the green chilies. Where, yes. 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 So we have we have green chilies and that's our thing and don't mess with our green chilies because fast casual notwithstanding. So yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Matt, what's your normal Fourth of July like and what did you do different? Well, actually, we didn't really do a whole lot different because I refuse to bow down to anybody who uh, tries <laughs> to infringe on my liberties. Uh, and frankly, we live in the cradle of liberty, so uh, we often visit historical sites that uh, go through our nation's uh, founding the Revolutionary War. Last year, uh, we were out at uh, Valley Forge and going through uh, the, uh, the the battlefield there. And we decided this year to uh, go through the Civil War battlefield over in Gettysburg. And so we actually uh, we actually got to, to tour around and do some things there. I would say, though, the only different thing is there were a lot more men with open carry guns around uh, trying to protect <laughs> my statues. So that's really the only thing different. It wasn't different with me. It was different with everybody else. So yeah, yeah. Well, you you and wars, I are both wars and sparklers were had. <laughs> you and I are both in Pennsylvania. Although my my normal habit for Fourth of July is I go to West Virginia to see my parents, and they have an actual fireworks display in the nearby town that is pretty impressive for a small town, and actually it's pretty impressive for a big town to be honest. And that was about the only thing we didn't do. We went to my parents, and we took our new puppy and enjoyed the six acres of country. So. That was about it. We uh, we didn't wear masks when we barbecued, and so far we're still healthy. Yeah, so hopefully that'll give us an introduction of who we are. And I want to talk first about current events. And one of them is just kind of baffling to me. Norman, I'm going to let you introduce like what exactly is going on here. But it, the question is, why does the left seem to hate free speech? I thought they were <laughs> champions of free speech. It's, it is rather baffling. And I think that amongst those of the more, let's call it the more moderate left, there's still a modicum of free speech among many of them. And I think that that is sort of exemplified to an extent in, in the recent open letter that was sent to Harper's Magazine, published by over 150 scholars, authors, various, various people from various public-facing jobs and, and otherwise journalists, uh, academics, etc. This open letter is like 
I mean, it's, it's not even like 2000 words long. It is not a long letter. And all it does is basically says, hey, you know, the trend that we're seeing of people going through cancellations as a result of just seemingly benign things is, is absolutely getting out of control. And the and you would think you know that the promotion of the value of free speech and in more of an open way now you know as as we know as libertarians like the idea of free speech is qualified like you don't necessarily like it's it's qualified by property rights as in you know you the question of who gets to say fire in a crowded theater is not contingent upon your free speech right but rather on who owns the theater and so on and so forth but. The the general modicum or or value of free speech in an open society that goes even a little beyond the restriction of the government in order to punish it is still like there's a value in that, and that is you know getting really attacked on all sides by the the most radical people on the left. And and to be fair, this has happened on the right as well at times. But what we're seeing now is something that makes like McCarthyism look like, you know, yesterday's news. Yeah. And that's just insane. And, and that's what this Harper's letter was kind of trying to emphasize a little bit, although it didn't, it didn't reach out and talk about McCarthyism, but it, it alluded to, you know, issues of the radical right at times. And okay, fine. Like, Question, Norm. Did, did it speak on the, the trope that I've heard multiple times that free speech is hate speech? Yeah, I mean, it, it kind of notes that to an extent. But yeah. the kind of interesting side or, or secondary effect here is that almost instantaneously after this starts going out, you see the Twitter war just like going completely bananas and even the reactionary articles to it. I mean, people are writing response articles against this that are, mm. you know, 10x as long as the original article. Wow. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, I understand the, the, the uh, well, the so-called, you know, BS principle that it takes an order of magnitude more work to refute BS in order uh, than to write it. Um, but this is, this is out of control. And, and I, I think it's, it's, it's really significant as to where we are, you know, in, in our society right now in America, uh, where this is, this is really, this is really kicked up a notch in a way that is beyond unhealthy. And, uh, and I mean, it, like we gotta, we gotta admit like social pressure isn't bad. Okay. Like social, social pressuring is not right. inherently a bad thing. In fact, look in our libertarian literature and you'll see, you know, one of the ways in which we expect that good values are upheld is through social pressuring through even, you know, ostracizing to an extent, but this is a step beyond. So again, there are elements of it that you can be on board with on some level, but the level of which it has reached is now way outside of the realm of where we ought to approve of at that point. Yeah, social pressure is always better than state pressure because yeah, you know, exactly. one, one of the fundamental tenets of libertarianism is the difference between culture or society and the state. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of people sort of you know, kind of want to merge those and so forth. It's instructive to us as libertarians to like recognize where even we might even say cancel culture kind of gets it right on some level, which is, I mean, and I've just been railing against it on some, on, on one side, but I'm going to, you know, pivot and say like, there aren't, yeah. it's not completely, it's not completely wrong. Right. There are yeah. things we can recognize about it that are valuable, but yeah. the way in which it ultimately gets practiced is getting out of control. Carrie, I'm sorry. I kind of, 
Yeah. Well, I was just going to say, I mean, social pressures is one thing when it's spontaneously, when it, when it spontaneously arises from culture, Mm -hmm. but that's not entirely what we have here because we have a media driving a narrative. We have politicians driving a narrative and you have people latching onto that and then, you know, bringing up their, their cancel culture and that sort of thing. So we have a situation where the state is still pretty heavily involved in whatever that cancel culture is. And so it's not even the libertarian way that we would conceive of that social pressure. Yeah, it's on the verge of like whacked out citizen arrest. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it almost seems to at least divulge because I think the way that cancel culture has been used primarily is a little bit of a slippery slope to where it may be, hey, we're just not going to listen to this person or we're not going to shop at their business anymore to then turn yeah. around and say, we're going to use the powers of the state to try mm-hmm. and cancel these people, remove licenses and remove all kinds of uh you know, abilities that they have to to make a living. Yeah. So to me, it's insidious on that standpoint because it sets up yeah. a precedent that is far beyond what we would see normally as just regular interactions between free people who may disagree with one another. Yeah. I want to lead that to talk about canceling people and, and livelihood and so forth. I mean, we need to talk about what's happening with, with cash. Mm-hmm. You know, Carrie, you wanted to talk about cash and I'm going to places and these places are like, hey, we don't, we don't want to accept cash. We're just going to use card. I even, you know, I, I know somebody who said, well, this is just evidence of like a new world order and, you know, the end times <laughs> yeah. and all this other stuff. And it's like, we're going to a cashless society and all that. And I'm like, well, I don't, I don't agree with all that. At the same time, there is a problem here. And that is mm-hmm. the cash, cashless society could hurt the most vulnerable. And, you know, to some extent, I think if you maybe, if you uh, inform the left of this is what's happening, they might rethink... <laughs> I don't know. They might rethink those kinds of things. But anyway, what's your take? Well, yeah, now this sort of came up because I was was seeing these pictures on social media about, you know, people not, our businesses not taking cash, but not just that. It was, if you're going to use cash, right? So some businesses were accepting cash, but if you're going to use cash, you you have to use exact change because there's this coin shortage, which (laughs) I'm like, okay, I don't know where the coin- can't just mint new coins. Yeah, they're like we have to wait for the no federal. We have to wait for the Federal Reserve to do something with the coin shortage, and I'm like, okay. But yeah, sort of the pendulum swing of that reaction has been okay. This is you know this is new world order. This is you know the mark of the beast is the cashless society, and you know it's like okay, let's not swing the pendulum so far. But there is something to be said, I think, about the impact that a cashless society would have. And not just poor people, but like my kids are learning entrepreneurship by going out and doing things and making money. And if they, and they do that based on cash, you know, you can't give to a poor person a a red light if you don't have cash. So I think there's something to be said about the practicality of it. You know, we talked about property rights before. How can we say that the digital currency that we hold is actually our property if you can't actually touch it? So I think there's something to be said about hard currency and having that in circulation and having that be a regular part of our economy. Gary, would you say that the uh, whole debate now on cashless societies and this becoming more of an issue, is that this generation's gold standard debate? 
I mean, that's an interesting question. I mean, the, the, the thing about the gold standard debate was, was whether or not, you know, the dollar had any value backed up to it. And, you know, there's, there's obviously the question of whether a digital currency has value, but there's the question of whether or not it's an actual thing. I mean, it seems to me that digital currency is just a series of binomials and that that intersects with the whole intellectual property rights thing, which libertarians, well, Rothbardian libertarians anyways, deny that the intellectual property rights exist. So if intellectual property rights don't, don't exist, then digital currency can't, can't technically exist. I'm writing binomials down. Just want to make sure I got that word right. So. Yeah, okay, good. Well, but there, there is an... In a- there is an inter, an innovation, though. I mean, I, when you say digital currency, I, I want to be clear: are we are you speaking of strictly speaking, like the way in which the federal government is managing, you know, ledger lines, or are you talking about Bitcoin and crypto cryptocurrency in the first place? Well, I'm. I honestly, I mean, I've heard I've heard some things about Bitcoin and cryptocurrency and how they're trying to make that very different from the situation that we have. But no, I'm talking about the the you know, what the federal government is doing okay. and, and then, the way they're, yeah. Then I, then I agree with you. So yeah, <laughs> that's fine. But I mean, if we're going to, even, even when, next episode, we debate Bitcoin. Bitcoin. Yeah. <laughs> well, but even, even with Bitcoin, I mean, how would, how would that work with, you know, kids who are trying to have a lemonade stand or hmm. poor people who are on the You're, corner who just needs, you know, need to buy a burger. Okay. okay. The super short answer to that is that it would be still a problem if you were trying to do that with, say, divisibility of gold. But in the mm. case of Bitcoin, it's actually more divisible and more portable than gold. So it actually is an advantage over what would be considered to be the libertarian standard in this regard. So that's the, that's the short answer. Now, that's backed up, I would have to say, with, the, with the, the theoretical foundation of what Bitcoin is and why digital scarcity is a real thing. Mm-hmm. And then, then of course, then you have to get into. You mentioned like, how do you know that you own it? Well, okay, that's that's a whole other issue. I mean, but but even Stefan Kinsella yeah. has weighed in on that as with regards to is Bitcoin ownable? And yeah. so I would refer you to that paper, that paper, or or at least his writings on that to get to that point. And yeah. so now I'm going to shut up. So <laughs> I think here's the thing, though. I think this whole debate allows us to really, as libertarians, push the conversation of it's really not about the digital currency, and it's not really about the cash in itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's about the competitiveness of currency, and that we yeah. should have that as a yeah. society, so that people are free to choose that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But anyhow, I, I digress. Yeah. No, I think you're. I think you're spot on with that. I think you know. There's. There's probably a conceivable way where, where you could have a legitimate cashless society. But you know, we gotta. We gotta deal with the freaking federal government first. <laughs> well, when the when the monetary system is being, you know, <laughs> is what it is right now. Yeah. That presents us the a a prescient problem and a, and an existential threat to yeah. economic that might have well-being. To be. That might have to be another episode as well as yeah. uh, how far yeah. do libertarians go where practicality is just all missed completely uh, because mm-hmm. re- reality does not yeah. fit the, yeah. the desire. But anyway. Yeah. So we, we have federal government problems. And Matthew, uh-huh. you and I share the same uh, state governor problem, which is <laughs> that you and I are under the same orders, uh, at least on paper or someone's piece of paper or digital signature or whatever our governor and signs <laughs> Visible lines on. and all. Visible yeah. lines. <laughs> yeah. So uh, you, you have a reopen PA background, as everybody can see. You've been in charge of, in charge of, I should say, you've been partly leading a movement to reopen PA. And what yeah. that brings to mind is 
for Christians especially, but even even just Americans, yeah. it's like, at what point is civil disobedience a good thing? Is it always okay? I mean, can we just always disobey the government? You and I both know, I'm not going to name any places here. So you and I both know places that are saying, we're just, you know, like sheriffs and so forth, local government officials saying, eh, we don't, we don't really like the governor. We're not going to enforce anything. And so there's, there's right. a s- sense of nullification going on. But this mm-hmm. is a Christian discussion as well. And so what do we do with the Christian morality of defying your governor? I mean, I've had conversations with people who are like, no, it's biblical to obey your government. You know, and not in every case, but this doesn't seem like it's pushing it for them. What about you? Yeah, yeah I, I hear a lot of those arguments on Romans 13 and, and uh, the tired old things that libertarians have had to, uh, especially Christian libertarians have had to deal with for a long time that there's a simple phrase that I like to bring up to people who have that very sentiment of, well, shouldn't we obey the government? Romans 13 teaches us that we're to submit to these authorities and, and we're, we're supposed to just shut up and listen. And I just have to say, okay, well, <laughs> well, one, what and who is the ultimate authority of the land in this country? What we've agreed on, what we have chartered, who is the ultimate authority? And that is nebulously the people, but also our constitution. And so when a governor or any other authority does not bend to those authorities, I believe it is the right and the ability of individuals within that government to stand up and say, you're not obeying God, governor. You're not doing what is necessary uh, for good, godly government. Your, Your scales are out of balance. And so we need to, as individual Christians and those who support liberty, remind our civil servants, I'll just put that uh, phrase out there, (laughs) Uh, our civil servants, that they are under the authority of the people and the constitution, not the people in the constitution under the authority of the civil servants. In other words, we have a responsibility to challenge. Yes, absolutely. Like it's part of the law. Like one way I think about it is, you know, I grew up in a pretty conservative, you know, setting, and it was like, you know, it was against the God's moral law to disobey the speed limit. House, so that's, What's that's that? Yes, that's true. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I didn't grow up around here, but yeah, you could see. Yeah, okay. So, <laughs> side story there. Uh, side story there. Yeah. Speed limit, right? I, I grew up yes. being told that if you uh, disobey the speed limit, you're disobeying God because the government said you should drive 55, and if you drive 56 and up, then you are just willingly, you know, whatever, then you're disobeying. But when I began thinking about this as an adult, and I thought, wait a second, the law is written as such that the government actually has to evaluate its own laws on what the speed limit is based on what the people are actually driving. And there's laws that like every two years, they have to survey a certain stretch of highway or whatever to make sure that the speed limit is actually keeping up with like what people are actually doing. Correct. In that particular law, it's built in that the people have a say in, we don't like this speed limit. And that is very quintessential American, in my opinion. And so to some extent, it's not a defiance of Romans 13 for me to say, this leader is not, I'm sorry, I just said leader. My goodness, Matt, you're going to slap (laughs) me. Um, Our civil servants... The person who thinks they're in charge of me, uh, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, not, it's not a defiance of Romans 13 to defy the governor, uh, right. is, what I meant, is what I meant to say. Can, can um, we just call Carrie, them wanton authoritarians? Carrie, I'm sure you're defying your governor all the yeah. time. What's that? Can we just call them wanton authoritarians? There you wanton go. Authoritarians. There you go. Oh, yeah, that's great. I love that. Um, <laughs> yes, yes. And I've been actively defying my governor. Actually, the, the thing that came up recently about this was a Facebook post that I was interacting with. A, uh, a friend of mine who's a 
pastor and somebody who I have a great deal of respect for and, you know, is against, you know, patriarchalism and pietism and things like that. And he was saying that, you know, even if Christians have a right to civil disobedience, that exercising civil disobedience is not an act of Christian love. And so it's immoral. Whoa. And wow. yeah, he said, he said, he said, man, are, man is lawless. And so we need the state. Um, and you oh. have to, which I, I pointed oh. out the contradiction in that. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, I thought it was interesting because there was a ton of people who got on after that and they were like, you know, if it's not an act of Christian love, then you can't do it. And I was just like, this is absurd. These They're are saying people, that civil disobedience is not in and of itself, not an act of Christian love, or like there are actions that unless no, they are acts it, of Christian love. Civil disobedience in and of itself, like exer- even beyond that, exercising your rights when it could be perceived by some as, you know, either against the law or, uh, okay. you know, indirectly huh. harming another person. So this was in the context of both fireworks and I believe the masks. Please tell me um, you wow. threw Henry David Thoreau in their faces. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, mean, I didn't. I didn't even. I, I didn't even go that far. Uh, he sort of short circuited and turned down and shut yeah. down the conversation. Wow. But <laughs> well, you know, one of the things that I did. These people are are opposed to abuse within the church, and I said, you know, you you guys, you guys are opposed <laughs> to abuse. Like this is on the basis of rights. Oh, my and word. Another pastor <laughs> got on there, and he's like, "No, confronting your abuser is an act of love." And I said. Okay, oh, but it's, really? <laughs> it's an assertion of rights. So, you know, these these things aren't mutually exclusive. Maybe it is an act of love, but it is an assertion of your rights. And, you know, that was when they short-circuited. But yeah, that's wow. sort of the that's sort of the new thing that I'm seeing now. That's remarkable, Carrie. Because I mean, like that sort of behavior oh. is precisely why, you know, like 12 years, 12 now, it's almost 13 years. Is it 12? No, it's 12 years ago that I started libertarianchristians.com mm-hmm. it's because all it's that sort of thing that sort of cognitive dissonance mm-hmm. amongst our fellow brothers and sisters is what we are ultimately fighting against right, you know, right now yeah i mean if if we have i've said it many times that if we accomplish anything as lci at all in this world if we can just raise the level of conversation to where stuff like that is recognized yeah. then we will have accomplished a good thing. So, you know, yeah. kudos for standing up there and just let, letting them have it. Because that's <laughs> yeah, the sort of stuff that needs to get, you know... Call us next time and we'll join you crushed. in those. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Note, note to self. Well, yeah. and, and even if they didn't ultimately like get to the best conclusion from a conversation like that, if they can just realize how ridiculous the way that they're setting these assertions up together mm-hmm. sound, that would be a like a... A positive victory. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah. But like yeah. I'm stunned as you're as you're just describing this as like that that that, that sort of cognitive dissonance is is uh, not recognized immediately. Like yeah. I, I mean, come on. Yeah. Somebody well, level of conversation. Two. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody said that that Christianity isn't rights oriented. And I was just like Really? Really? Hmm. Like what no. okay, thou shalt not steal? Like uh-huh. Why? Yeah, and you know, even anyways. in the—I'm sorry—but even in the 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 Levitical law, animals have a certain level of rights. I mean, yeah, yeah. Wh- 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 huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, this is like this is like probably two or three articles. Hint, hint. 
um, that we can publish on, <laughs> Next time. on our blog. But yeah, I want to I want to keep um, our time to like a reasonable amount so that we have more viewers. And also, as we have time, <laughs> um, we want to talk. I would love to talk pop culture at the end of every episode if we have mm. time and like what we're consuming. Oh, so sweet. there's there's really only one topic right now in pop culture that should be talked about. Because it's you know everybody is watching it and hating on it or loving on it or whatever. Dogmatic off the bat, let's go. And also, and also, because we just talked about civil disobedience and the ultimate act of civil disobedience was, of course, the American Revolution. And so, if you don't know what I'm talking about right now, I'm talking about Hamilton going on Disney Plus and being available <laughs> for us to watch. I don't know about uh, Carrie uh, and Matt. Norman and I have watched it this week, not together, separately, but we both watched it. I watched it with my entire family and two friends, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. There were a little few annoying things about it that I was like, doggone it, Thomas Jefferson's way more of a hero than they made him out to be. But I absolutely loved the portrayal of the king. That guy was amazing. Oh, and you know who I he also... is, right? No, who is it? I didn't notice. Oh, you... oh no, who is it? Jonathan Groff. Oh, I don't... Jonathan Groff. Okay. Who is Jonathan Groff? Maybe you'll remember him from some little kids' movie called Frozen. <gasps> oh, uh, was he? Oh, Olaf? he's a Lancaster. No, no, he was Kristoff. Oh, he's Kristoff. Yeah. Okay, he's a Lancaster. Josh Gad is Olaf. Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. And so, so yeah, we thoroughly loved him. It was probably the only part my kids understood because they couldn't follow because it's a rap <laughs> musical, which was amazing. But yeah, so well, strictly hip hop. Yeah. But let, let's. Let's, okay, let's fine. be clear. I, Come on. Do, do I look like the kind of person who would know the difference? Yeah. <laughs> Come on. You, you look like a guy who listened, you know, bobbed your head to Beastie Boys back in the day. I mean, come on. Yeah. Who? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> are you sabotaging this now? Yeah, uh, no, just a little bit. Norman, I'll, I'll let you speak. What, what, do you, what did you think? Well, I mean, first of all, should we cancel it? it? Doggone it, no. That, the movie's fantastic. <laughs> and the show is fantastic. It, the music is stellar and Jonathan Groff is a highlight. I mean, that riff is just killer. Uh, and you'll know exactly what I mean when you hear it. It's terrific. But no, it's, it, this, this movie's great for a variety of reasons. There's some great stuff. There's so many good things to talk about. And we've been talking about central banking the whole time. Well, a central piece of it is frankly Hamilton establishing the nation's first bank, national bank. Now, we could all, we could agree here and that this is a terrible thing and uh for any number of reasons and and uh the you know the show pitches it in, in a bit softer way it kind of sets up the national banking system if you will as being a, a huge innovation and a uh an important piece of making america prosperous and that's not really historical per se but if we move aside from that for a second and just talk about like what's the narrative about what is the story you know trying to convey I mean, there's, some, there's so many interesting meta messages and things that are going on in it that I, I actually think this might be one of the best things for the country to view right now, especially given what we've been talking about yeah, with cancel yeah. culture and, and which, which is also leading to disintegration of the appreciation of history and so on, as, as you know, Matt alluded to earlier, going to pieces of our history and in, in the locations yeah. they're in. Like, this is, this is great for people to see because even though it does you know, kind of point out the contradiction of freedom and slavery in, in early America, which is, I mean, admittedly is, is it's present. This is part of, it is part of the history yeah. of America, right? Mm -hmm. It does it in such a way where it doesn't try to cancel it out. 
or try to, mm-hmm. you know, overlaud people for being one way or the other, even. I think it's actually pretty appreciative and celebrates the history in a way that is, that's just great. You know, even as it pertains to Hamilton, like, you know, there's a lot of ways we could criticize Hamilton from, you know, the, the effects person. that he ultimately had. You're talking about but, the person, right? Yeah, yeah. And the policies that he promoted and whatnot. I mean, like, this is the guy who basically, and it, and it even alludes to this, although it doesn't quite make it crystal clear in the show Hamilton is surprised when George Washington says, I'm not going to, you know, continue running for president. And so there's a whole song about teaching them to say goodbye. Yeah. And it makes it kind of sound like Hamilton was instrumental to that effect, but he, he really did want a permanent president. Like that was, that was the point. He really wanted that type of strong federal apparatus. Yeah. yeah. And that's indicative of, from the national bank and whatnot. But like, even so, this is a guy who, who was a freedom fighter, who was instrumental in the founding of America, then like we can appreciate yep. that about him while also being critical of his ultimate policies that he did want to promote. And yep. it also humanizes him. If you follow with the narrative of the film, you go from like, oh man, this guy is great, to this guy's a total scuzz bucket, to oh my gosh, I have huge empathy for him. And I mean, like, and this happens in the matter of like minutes. And so it does a great job of, of telling the story. And I was, I thought it was, yeah. I thought it was great. I love the music. Cool. I, th- I mean, I'm not really a hip hop guy. I'm more of a, you know, modern fingerstyle guitar guy yeah. and rock and roll, but I loved it. I thought it was great. Well, you've oh, convinced cool. me. I'm, I'm going to check it out now. It's yeah. absolutely so, worth it. Begrudgingly yeah, no, join good. the rest of popular society. No, no, it's all good. For those who are <laughs> Hamilton haters, the Hamilton, like the Alexander, the person, uh, haters, the show, I will just kind of plug that they make him a very troubled man in a, in a certain way. This is not idolizing Hamilton the way I, the way I kind of expected it to be. Mm-hmm. They sort of idolize certain parts of his legacy, but not the person. He was a very, he had a lot of, it was not all positive and they did not it's, portray him all that way. So, so, so in yeah, the spirit of Hamilton, we used about that, but that's fine. Yeah. So in the, so go ahead, Gary, you guys are saying that we can actually learn something of our history, celebrate our history and be critical of it at the same time. Oh, yes. <laughs> that is amazing. fundamentally American. Yes, yes that it is. is. All right. Hallelujah. So in the spirit of the show, Hamilton, we need to wrap up. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so this was our first video episode of, Good news, bad news from Libertarian Christian Institute. Let us know in the comments or through email or whatever, however you want to reach us, libertarianchristians.com. How do we do? What do you want us to talk about next time? How frequently would you like us to do this? And you can also tell us what you didn't like. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Let us know how much you really loved Carrie or Matt. (laughs) <laughs> Maybe Norman and me. Who knows? Analyze Doug's um, bookshelf and tell him where he's wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah, you can pause it and zoom in and tell me, you know, which yeah. books are, are worth it, worth it. So, all right. Uh, what we are background gonna... should I have next week? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks, everyone. And uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Libertarian Christian Podcast. If you like today's episode, we encourage you to rate us on Apple Podcasts to help expand our audience. If you want to reach out to us, email us at podcast at libertarianchristians.com. You can also reach us at LCI Official on Twitter. And of course, we are on Facebook and have an active group you are welcome to join. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. The Libertarian Christian Podcast is a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute, a registered 501c3 nonprofit. If you'd like to find out more about LCI, visit us on the web at libertarianchristians.com. 
The voiceovers are by Matt Bellis and Catherine Williams. As of episode 115, our audio production is provided by Podsworth Media. Check them out at podsworth.com. Hey, podcast listeners. Since you like listening to audio content, we wanted to let you know about a new audiobook titled Called to Freedom, Why You Can Be Christian and Libertarian. It's read by me, Jacqueline Isaacs, one of the contributing authors of the book, and every download helps to support the Libertarian Christian Institute. To learn more and to download the audiobook today, go to calltofreedombook.com.